you're doing too much. That's one of the most common discoveries of the agency analysis that I provide nonprofits. Far too many well-meaning organizations are spreading their staff and budgets too thin by attempting to have a cheesecake factory-like menu of services that offer a lot of variety, but very little impact. Welcome to Life and Leadership with Kim Williams. I'm the CEO of Interfaith Family Services, a nonprofit that provides housing, help, and hope for families facing homelessness. I'm also the principal of Kim Williams Consulting, a change management firm that empowers nonprofits to change for the better. And I'm the author of Diary of an Insecure CEO, How I Went from Feeling Rejected to Raising Millions. I've led through a variety of organizational issues while raising over $50 million to fight poverty and learning a lot in the process. I created this podcast to share those lessons and help you to successfully navigate life and leadership. So let's get started. discoveries of the agency analysis that I provide for nonprofits. Far too many well-meaning organizations are spreading their staff and budgets too thin by attempting to have a cheesecake factory-like menu of services that offer a variety of programs but very little impact. Some host classes, trainings, programs, and events with minimum attendance and even fewer outcomes that can be measured or maintained while others served hundreds through the distribution of goods and in-kind donations with only a fraction of those returning for services that could transform their lives for the better. We serve, but we do not change in a way that is significant or sustainable. As a result, the nonprofit sector is one of the fastest growing sectors, while nearly every societal ill that we're designed to address is getting worse instead of getting better. It's not a nice truth, but it's a real one. According to Cause IQ, there are 287,344 nonprofits in the Dallas metro area alone. And those nonprofits raise $65 billion in annual revenue, holding $169 billion in assets. That is a lot of nonprofits and a lot of money each year spent to improve the quality of life for our community. So, for example, when it comes to homelessness in Dallas, while chronic homelessness is down, thank God, youth homelessness, veteran homelessness, and family homelessness are all up. Then there's the reversal of DEI initiatives in the last year, the rise of maternal mortality for Black women, the increase in high school dropout rates since the pandemic, and more. It seems that the investment in the nonprofit sector can never keep pace with the societal issues. That is why I believe that nonprofits need to shift from a service-oriented model to an outcomes-oriented model that can make a measurable and sustainable difference. But how do you do that? Where do we start? Well, the place I started as the new CEO of Interfaith Family Services 12 years ago, and the place that I advise my clients to start is by defining our target demographic. 
No one can serve everyone and absolutely no one but God can serve everyone effectively. The key is to know to whom you've been called and to serve them well. Now, when I arrived at Interfaith Family Services 12 years ago, we had a generally defined target demographic, and that demographic was homeless families. We also had a 40% graduation rate, with 50% of our families becoming homeless again in just six months after exit. We helped roughly 70% of our families obtain employment, but the average wage was a little over $9 an hour. While we were serving about 100 families a year with a $2 million annual budget at that time, I knew that we had to change our approach and methodology to improve our overall impact. But before we did that, we had to further define our target demographic. So we looked at subsets of homeless and impoverished families and found that the most underserved segment of both the homeless and the poor is the working poor. Most organizations served the chronically homeless and the generationally poor, generationally poor meaning those who had no history of sustained employment. And so as a result of most organizations serving the homeless and the generationally poor, those families typically transitioned into subsidized or Section 8 housing after those organizations served them. And they received housing that was either offered free or with significantly reduced rent. However, subsidized housing came with restrictions on income and assets like cars of a certain value, um, which working poor families needed to get to work, or savings account balances that had limits, which often discouraged them from working their way out of poverty um, in fear of losing their housing in the interim. This system, as it existed in 2011 when I arrived at Interfaith, did not meet the needs of the working poor who became homeless or were facing homelessness due to a layoff, reduced work hours, or a temporary sickness that caused them to miss work. Yet this segment of the poor, families with children whose parents worked a low-wage job, made up the largest demographic in Dallas, with single moms being most at risk for family homelessness. So not only did our East Dallas campus have a lot of working poor families that worked there or resided there at the time of this agency analysis that I did in 2011, so for us, it was a no-brainer that we needed to further refine our target demographic to working poor families who were homeless or facing eviction. So again, by looking at this overall target demographic that I inherited, homeless families, I knew that $2 million wasn't enough to serve homeless families adequately and that what we've been doing with the 40% graduation rate, the 50% of families becoming homeless six months after graduating, wasn't working for us. So we had to further refine our target demographic to allow that $2 million to go further in a way that was both more impactful and more sustainable for those families. So from there, we modified our program to specifically meet the need of the working poor families who were homeless. And this modification greatly improved our client outcomes. The average client wage is just over $20 an hour this year. The overall client success in terms of families who now exit 
into housing that is not subsidized or Section 8 housing has become over 80% of our clients. And next week, I'll talk about how we did it. I'll discuss the model and how we improved our effectiveness as an organization. In the end, we not only greatly improved our clients' lives, but we attracted greater investments from the community, which enabled us to triple the number of families that we serve each year and increase the size of our campus. It's crazy that limiting our target demographic enabled us to triple the amount of families we serve annually. I'll say that again, limiting our target demographic empowered us to triple the amount of families that we serve annually. And I'm convinced that it can potentially do the same for you. So now that you kind of heard the backstory of why we refined our target demographic and develop a niche market within our community, let's talk strategy. Let's talk about how you could do that too if you're interested in doing so. Now that we've talked about why you may need to determine now that we've talked about why you may need to refine your target demographic, let's talk about how. Well, there are three things that I tell my clients to consider when determining the best target demographic for them. Number 1, first look at your organization's history. So I ask them, who have you served historically? Are there groups or subcategories within that group? Which of your clients tend to perform better in your program and why? For those clients who perform better, are there more clients like them that you've been unable to reach? Could modifying your outreach efforts or your message attract more of the people who are most likely to benefit from your program? So these are just some of the questions that I ask. And here's what I found. No one can serve everyone effectively, but if you serve those who you are uniquely called to serve well, you can make a significant and measurable difference in the world. And most importantly, you can make a sustainable one. It's like the saying, jack of all trades, master of none. The question that I always ask myself and my clients is how can we have a greater impact? If we can't afford to expand, can we become more effective instead? Because guess what? The more effective that you are, the more funds you attract. Expansion always comes to those who are good stewards over what's in their hands. So I want to encourage you, take a look at your organization's history. Look at the groups and subgroups in your organization. Ask yourself who's performing well and why. And could we serve more people like them? So number two. Take a look at the location in which you serve. We must ask, does my location align with that of my target demographic? You can have the best services in the world, but if they're located in the desert, chances are you won't have many clients to take advantage of them. So you need to know, is your location accessible either by proximity or public transportation to those you target? Are your services provided in a facility and in a manner that appeals to the clients? In other words, will they want to be there? If not, what do you need to do? Do you need to move? Do you need to change your environment? Do you need to update your facility? Do you need to change who you serve or maybe even how you serve them? 
These are all questions that you need to ask when taking a look at your location. And number three, take a look at the needs of your target client. For example, I may ask, in addition to the core need that we address, for example, interfaith address housing for homeless families, what other needs do these families have? What issues or challenges led to homelessness? Are we in the position to address those underlying needs in a manner that will make what we do more sustainable? Are we in the position to address multiple client needs at one location? And if so, it can greatly impact client participation and ultimately client outcomes. So let me tell you how we did this at Interfaith. Our target demographic, again, was working poor single mothers who were homeless or at risk for being homeless. Notice how specific that is. First, we attract clients who have some sort of work history, even if it's low-wage employment, which it typically is, that can be used as the foundation for our very rigorous career training program, which we use to elevate wages, which makes their success more sustainable. So the other element, in addition to work history of our core demographic, is single moms. So we primarily deal with single moms who have no help when financial help, when um, financial crisis strikes. And so what happens when these moms need to rebuild their lives? Well, they need someone to take care of their children. So we added full service childcare as well as a self-care Saturday with childcare to give moms the much needed me time that they need, number one, to refresh, refresh and reset. But also during the week, we have childcare, whether they're working or not, so that they can focus on rebuilding their lives or getting into career training, doing what they need to do to um, have a fresh start. Then we included financial coaching to help moms save and reduce debt. All these services are offered at one site. And as a result of this and our amazing staff, our clients have an 80% success rate and an even higher sustainability rate for those that are successful following graduation. While, we equip, while we're equipped to address the needs of the chronically homeless, we can't become masters of doing that. We are masters of helping single moms who are facing homelessness. So as this calendar year comes to a close over the next few months, I want to encourage you to consider investing in strategic planning that will help you better identify your target client and how you are most uniquely positioned to serve them. This could be definitely life-changing for those clients and clients like them, but it will also be life-changing for your organization as you become much more effective in serving the community in a sustainable way. So again, I want you to consider those three things. Take a look at your organization's history and who you serve well and why. Take a look at your location to make sure that you are accessible to those that you serve well. And then take a look at the needs of your target client and ask yourself, are we equipped to address multiple needs at once through the services that we provide? All these things coming together will help you to define and refine your target demographic in a way that makes your organization more effective. So with that being said, let me close with this word of encouragement. One of the best things that you can do for yourself as a leader is one of the most difficult things. What is it? It's learning from your mistakes. Often we surround ourselves with people who always take our side, but 
we need someone who will respectfully and lovingly tell us the whole truth. For me, it's my husband. He's always got my back, but he refuses to lie to my face. So as a result of our God-ordained relationship and my natural analytical personality, I've made a habit of learning from my mistakes. So what does that look like? Well, it's admitting when you've gone too far or you didn't go far enough. It's noting how different words or a different tone could have had a different outcome. It's being honest that you didn't give your best effort. It's admitting that your words were impulsive and not inspired. It's confessing that you were quiet when you needed to be courageous. Then it's journaling that truth and writing down what you wish you would have done or what you will do to respond the next time. It's apologizing when the spirit leads and resisting the urge to explain when he doesn't. It's forgiving and moving forward, getting better day after day until one day you realize that you're evolving into a better version of yourself. Don't believe the hype. We all need help. We've all got work to do. There's no shame in that. There's just an opportunity for growth. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come just thanking you so much for this day. I thank you for each and every person that's tuned into this podcast. I thank you for wisdom, knowledge, insight, understanding. I thank you for an opportunity to get it right. I thank you that we have a God who understands us and who we are and what we're trying to do, that you place us in these positions. And even though sometimes leadership becomes overwhelming, we know that you will never put more on us than we can bear. And so, Father God, I pray for the strength to do what's difficult, to achieve what's great. I pray for the humility to admit what we're wrong and the grace to turn around and do what's right. In Jesus' name, amen. enjoyed this episode. Today's tips can be found on my website, kimwconsulting.com. Just click the resource tab in the menu. You can also find information about my consulting services and upcoming events and subscribe to my monthly life and leadership newsletter. If you found this podcast helpful, please share, rate, and subscribe. Thank you for listening. And remember, change is inevitable, but changing for the better isn't change wisely. Thank you.